and welcome back. I'm Bill Nolting, and you're listening to Talk Rehab. Today's very special guest is Jaime Poger, and if you don't know the name or the man, and you've been in the seating and mobility industry for any amount of time, we're here to fix that today. A true industry pioneer, product developer, patent holder, rehab thinker, Jaime rose through the ranks of Invacare from being a California sales rep in 1980 straight to product manager in Illyria in 1981, and the rest is simply legend. Jaime touched a lot of our lives over the years and influenced the lives of many, many people sitting in chairs today. He spent some time with me today to give us just a bit of his very interesting story. I wish we could have spent more time, and we probably will. Let's listen. So how are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Bill. You know, touch, uh, touch wood. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed with decent health. Thank God. That's great. Hey, listen, before we get started, I'd like to know, is this really Jaime Poger, bass player for the Stereos <laughs> Rhodesia's most popular touring band? It is. It is. And did Alan Wolf join the band later? Yes. Who was singing until Alan showed up? I, I think we all tried, but it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's start with a little background info and history on who is Jaime Poger. Sure. Uh, what would you like to know? Oh, where you came from. How, I know you came from Rhodesia. Yes. When you left there and how you got into the seating and mobility industry. And after South Africa, where did you go? And how did all that work? And when did you know that seating and mobility was going to be part of your life? So um, um, certainly I, uh, I uh, grew up in a town called Bulawayo in what was the British colony of Southern Rhodesia. At approximately 21 years old, 22 thereabouts, I, uh, I had been in this band, the Stereos, and um, they had been, you know, locally successful, kind of a, a big fish in a small pond. And we had toured with some British artists um, who aren't that well known here. Maybe Peter and Gordon mm -hmm. uh, were well known here. We had uh, toured with them. And um, so it, we'd had a lot of fun. I, I was uh, certainly uh, very blessed that way. Band broke up. Uh, I served in the Royal Rhodesian Air Force. Uh, it was a draft, and uh, so I served. And then um, I got in my car one day, and I drove to Johannesburg, which was the big city. I just settled in Johannesburg. That's where I met my wife. Fortunately, uh, Leslie's late father uh, was an American. He had uh, been born and grew up in New York City. He ended up in South Africa, had a family, and he had moved back to the United States. And so uh, he petitioned for us. He talked us into moving to the United States. We arrived here at the end of October in 1978. He told us to go to San Diego, California to live. Um, I would have gone anyway. I had no clue. I was just so excited to be in the United States. I was really... Had never been before? No, I was over the top excited. You can't believe when I got off that plane at uh, Kennedy. It was unreal. Anyway, and then we spent some days in New York City and that was, you know, knock your socks off uh, for me. And so we went to San Diego and I, I needed a job. So I took a temporary job while I looked for the real job. Uh, my background is um, in, in, in terms of, you know, my skills, what I could do. Uh, I had not, I had given up 
being a musician for years. I hadn't played, hadn't picked up a bass, and I was dumb enough to sell my uh, 1962 Fender jazz bass. Uh, what a dummy. We all make mistakes. Yes, we do. But anyway, I had, I was one of those kids who always fixed things. Um, I tuned my own car. I, I fixed other people's stuff. Yeah, I was just one of those kids. And then I wanted to, I had an interest in electronics, um, uh, being somewhat of a primitive environment. I took a uh, correspondence course. This was uh, when I lived in Rhodesia. I then became an apprentice in an electronic shop. I learned radio, television, things like that. I ended up going to tech school at night. And um, so I, that was my background. So when I was in San Diego, I wanted to, <clears throat> excuse me, get a job in the electronics industry. I wanted to be like a sales support rep, uh, a tech support uh, representative. I, I just couldn't find a position. And uh, someone told me there was a sales management position going uh, at a little wheelchair company. Well, I, I needed a job. So I went over there, I got the job, and I just absolutely fell in love with the industry. Where I owe, a, who I owe a lot to is Rancho Los Amigos. I used to go up there, they let me attend their clinics. I used to hang around the VA Long Beach. I, I learned the industry and I just loved what we did. And I think that uh, where I was fortunate here is um, after about a year at that company, Stainless Medical Products, which doesn't exist anymore, I got a job with Invacare. It just so happened I started with them in February of 1980. And at the end of December of 79, Mel Mixon and his group purchased the company from Johnson & Johnson. And Mel, you know, and everyone in the industry probably knows or should know, maybe not the kids, Mel was a forward-thinking, you know, hard-charging um, doer. And so it was fantastic for me to be on his team. And at the same time, it so happened, and this is just my view, I, hopefully it's somewhat accurate, it so happened that the industry was um, really blossoming because individuals with disabilities realized that if they just had some technology, they could participate in normal life. And, and, and that whole movement uh, was getting up and going, and I just happened to come along at that time. So anyway, that, I, I hope that gives you some perspective. Yeah, that, that's good. I know that you spent most of your career with manufacturers, except for a, a stint with NSM, was that by choice or luck of the draw? Well, once you start with a manufacturer, and I'd been with Invacare for 24 years before I retired from them, but once, you, once you're in that, you tend to stay there. I loved my stint at NSM. Thank you. Uh, that was, uh, was wonderful to see the other side of the world. Unfortunately, it happened towards the end of my career, but still, it was fabulous. Uh, but you, you know, you once you're in manuf with a manufacturer and you understand that side of of the um, uh, industry, um, then you you tend to just stay there. Uh, I, I, I guess the forces just kind of 
make it happen. What was your primary role at Invacare? Well, I started out as their representative in Southern California. And so I was a rep. Mm -hmm. And um, for roughly a year, I, I was a rep. Mel uh, and and his one of his co-managers, an individual called Pat Nelly. Uh, uh, sadly, he was a he, he was a much older individual, and he's not with us anymore. But he was fantastic. So, and he was like Mel's mentor. Mel had worked for him before, and he really helped Mel. Uh, but anyway, uh, they came out to uh, California a few times for meetings, and. You know, I would just talk to them about the product line, just thoughts, that uh, ideas, just from being out in the field. Uh, I'm assuming that motivated them to uh, move me to Ohio uh, and uh, be become a product manager. And my first product line, interestingly enough, was oxygen concentrators, uh, which was a brand new field at that time. There was, uh, I think, maybe one or two other companies in the field at that time, and Mel had just acquired a small concentrator company in uh, Connecticut. And so that was my first job, which was uh, interesting. You are listed as one of the inventors on a couple patents. One in 1998 for a center of gravity tilt assembly. I guess that's the precursor to the modern tilt in space mechanism. And another in 2012 for a head array system. What can you tell me about those? Uh, well, I can see you've done some research. <laughs> so the um, uh, center of gravity, uh, tilt in space, I think everyone is uh, nowadays just assume that's just a normal way to do things. Uh, you know, we just discovered that moving the center of gravity as you tilt is very helpful to the mechanism. Without that, uh, and this just from memory, Bill, and honestly, some of it is kind of fuzzy. But without moving your center of gravity, you require an enormous amount of force to tilt and untilt. When you move, work with the center of gravity, it makes it a lot easier. Um, the, the head array was at Permobile. The, uh, we developed a head array. It had some novel features in it. One of the main ones was um, having a number of sensors in the back instead of one center-mounted sensor. And the benefit of that, it made it easier to do turns. Uh, with a center mount, you still, the, the, the sensors in a head array have a, um, a very small field in which they're fired, uh, where, they, where they sense you. And so, it was easy to get out of that field as you rotate your head or as you lean left or right. And so you, it would be difficult to do a veer as against just a hard left or right turn. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that was one of the, uh, the features that was developed. I actually didn't develop that. Was, a lot of these were done by engineers. They were nice enough to uh, put me on the patent. In 2010, you were recognized as one of the top 10 most interesting people in HME. Actually, number four in front of Mao. <laughs> what did that mean to you, if anything? Actually, like I'm laughing now, I laughed then. That didn't, it, it didn't, uh, honestly, it just didn't make uh, sense to me. It, uh, I, thought it was, uh, I thought it was humorous. 
Um, and I'm not sure why, maybe because I'd kind of hid, hidden away in Austin, Texas for a while. I'm not sure. I, I really don't know why, but I just thought it was humorous. What's important about complex rehab technology? What it delivers. So a normally functioning person is able to do all the things without me spelling them out, you know, move, go from place to place, communicate, and do all of that pretty much at will. Once, for whatever reason, you lose the ability to do some of those things, let's say, to move from place to place, that's a big problem. Uh, it, it, It has a huge impact on your life. So complex rehab will deliver you the ability to move where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And so now you basically, dare I use the word, you know, restored to, to functioning back in society. It's huge. It's huge. I love that we're able to do that. Do you think that the provision of seating and mobility has changed at all since you got into the, the field in 1980? Yes, <laughs> significantly. <laughs> Honestly, in 1980, all we had were the most rudimentary tools. There was a company, and again, for any young person who happens to listen to this, the industry was ruled by one company. I know it's hard to wrap your mind around that. There were no Invicares, there was no um, Quantum, Quickie, none of those things. It was a company called Everest and Jennings based in Southern California. And they made the one basic power chair that was available. And they made uh, a uh, manual uh, folding wheelchair. That was their big invention was of the folding wheelchair, uh, which made it uh, transportable. Uh, It was a huge event. That's what they made. And they basically were 90 plus percent of the market in a companies like Invercare just had a tiny sliver of the wheelchair market. Now, they were in, in other, uh, other aspects. They were in um, uh, what we call back then patient aids. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, that's all that there was. And if you uh, needed mobility, let's say you could operate a power chair you had to have good hand function uh, because basically all there was was a basic joystick. That's it. And if you didn't have good enough hand function, you were put in a manual chair. Mm -hmm. And the manual chairs were very heavy, very awkward, very difficult to operate. And so if you didn't have the mechanics and the strength to operate that, then you were going to be pushed around. And so only a very small percentage of the individuals who we see today who are fully functioning with the technologies we deliver, only a very small percentage of them were functioning in that technology. Who were the primary customers of E&J? Paraplegics um, and, um, you know, high-functioning quads. How did they get their wheelchairs? There were no national providers at that point. There were only a few manufacturers. Right. So how was the provision managed? <laughs> Bill, I, I, I put a giggle in because you know, another thing that may be of interest to everyone is that our industry started in the back of stores that were renting 
you know, rental stores. They rented equipment. They rented, um, you know, one of the big things, one of the, 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 the major companies at that time was a company called Abbey Rents. And if you were having a big dinner, you could rent all your uh, crockery, cutlery, tablecloths. That was their big line. When you went into an Abbey store, um, that was in the front of the store. In the back of the store were a couple of wheelchairs, walkers, a few commodes, but, but possibly. And then there were some mom and pops who emulated that. Right. Pretty much that was the... Um, the extent of the industry uh, in in 1980. I, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating, if any, just you know, uh, unintentionally. But that's how we started in the back of rental stores. Well, it's changed since then. No kidding, and 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 fantastically. I mean, I'm just so so proud, and um, I, I can't say enough. You know how how blessed I feel to have been a, a part of that change. What are the most exciting things about the future of CRT? <sighs> My gosh. You know, here's one. I think we've provided technologies for many of the, if I can use the word, um, populations or segments, elderly, ALS, plegia, you know, whatever it is. And um, one of the segments we had not done anything for, not because we're mean or cruel, but because society just never looked at them in the way that I think you're going to see happen. And that is infants and toddlers. It's just a natural instinct for us to want to coddle them, even if they're, you know, normally developed, normally developing. Um, but one of the things that was missed is that for our our development as humans to develop our skills, our ability to communicate, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to do that properly, we have to move. So you know, if you're born with some type of a disability that prevents you from moving at that age, as again something acquired later in life after you've developed the skills, then basically that switch doesn't go on. It's when we at seven, eight, nine, ten 10 months start to move, bump into things, we learn, we hurt ourselves, we touch, we move, we have an interest in that thing across the room, we crawl there. So when you can't do that, it really inhibits your development. And there wasn't really equipment for PEDS. You know, when we talked about PEDS, quote unquote, uh, power chairs or manual chairs, a lot of them are adult uh, scaled down seats. So I think there's, that is a big, exciting area. Um, as for the, the rest of it, I, I, I believe that, you know, obviously there's the, the technologies are going to change. There's so much new technologies in communication. I think that I, I have a sense that, you know, where you have to touch things now, um, there's going to be more of a non-touch technology that, you know, you, you may be able to move by sensing where your finger is, you'll direct your chair, something like that uh, coming along. I don't want to f uh, sound too space age, but I, I really do believe that. And, you know, there was once a, a technology that used a called peach tree that used your head as a joystick. Without getting into the pluses and minuses, um, I think 
those technologies would, are going to be reborn, uh, but in a more safe manner, things like that. Uh, and of course, of um, uh, verbal communication, I, I think. So there's a lot of fantastic te technologies, plus the scaling down of things. You know, we, our batteries are, are still relatively uh, prehistoric, mm -hmm. still Stone Age. Um, and, but the cost of batteries is coming down. Um, and so I think there's going to be the possibility of scaling things down, uh, making a power chair that's got just two wheels, uh, like uh, the, uh, oh God, the, the device. The iBot? Yes. So still a lot of exciting possibilities. Um, and I, the technology to make them safe, because they can be made today, but to make them safe enough, I think is, is, is on its way. Do you have any advice for the people that are in the industry right now? <laughs> you would think I could just pop that out. Just keep, it's, it's corny to say dream, and I don't mean that. Please just keep looking at the technologies we are using and looking at the new technologies coming out and adapting those technologies to provide the same outcome, or possibly even better. But as I said, more this visible, scaled down, things like that. That, that. that would be my advice. What are you working on right now? <laughs> try, try, trying to stay healthy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm just not a kid anymore. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, as I said, I'm, in all seriousness, I am very blessed. Uh, I'm very, very blessed. Uh, regarding health, but I'm 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 not really working on anything in the industry. I have some people who once in a while will call me and 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 ask me to give an opinion on something. I, I do have, interestingly enough, I do have a um, an idea for something that I had wanted to work on. I just need to focus on it, Bill. And I I I think if it if it worked, it would be uh, it would be useful. So I guess I need to do that. What's the coolest thing you've ever done? Hmm. Well, <laughs> it's, uh, to, to choose one is difficult. I think that the mid-wheel drive is probably the coolest. But then I think of the Mark, the first processor electronics that we came out with. That was incredibly cool, particularly for, for me with somewhat of an electronics background. Oh, my God, that was cool when we were able to look at driving and break it up into speeds and accelerations and all of these things, you know, before you had no, no way of doing anything like that, you couldn't tune it to the person's skill level. You couldn't individualize it. That was cool. Right. And then you ended up with multiple power options. Yes. And, and it was tough to do a lot of that before. And then once you got to software, uh, you just get in the menu and click. It's a head array. And you were set to go. Communicate. I, I, you know, the other thing coming, Bill, of course, is turning the chair, which I think a lot of them are anyway, into a uh, moving computer. Uh, with communications and just just like you have your iPhone, just an extension of your iPhone and your computer and and all of those things. Um, that's happening. Uh, I'm not part of it anymore, but that's happening. 
But, uh, you know, the coolest, I, I think the coolest things, again, if you look at elect, the elect, making the first um, software-based electronics and then everything that happened subsequent to that was fantastic, then I think the mid-wheel drive was cool. Very cool. Well, Jaime, I appreciate the time you've spent with me today. Bill, thank you. And, and really, it's a delight to, to, to uh, speak to you. And you too. I mean, we haven't talked for, I don't know, a couple of years or something, but uh, keep rocking the Casbah. <laughs> thank you, Bill. Really enjoyed it. Thank you again, Jaime. Bye-bye. Bye. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a glimpse into the mind of Jaime Poger. That's all we have today for this episode of Talk Rehab. I'm Bill Nolting. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.